small crowd gathers on the street outside the McNabs' cottage on days when the trees set off for the new garden at Broomlaw, a mile and a half distant. The dew is fresh on the leaves, shimmering in the sunshine as the first of eight carts bearing precious cargo rolls through the gates onto the road. A barefoot girl of no more than six years of age jumps up and down in excitement, her face traced with grime though she must be on her way to the dame school. Look, Jamie, look, she squeals. It is an extraordinary sight. Alder and ash, cedar and fir, oak and willow, trees of twenty, thirty and forty feet transplanted into huge wooden barrels proceeding one behind the other. The cart horses bent to their task, hauling them up the gentle slope, the huge wheels turning slowly as they make their way towards town. Twigs quiver and branches sway, though there is no breeze on this summer morning. The gardeners smirk. This work, they know, is historic. People will remember seeing it their whole lives, the transplantation of acres of ground, shrub by shrub and tree by tree, back-breaking work though it is. They have been pioneering the process for several weeks. Nobody has ever attempted it before, not on this scale. The head gardener, William McNabb, watches each cart as it leaves, checking that every tree is secure before taking his place on the last wagon. He looks up and waves goodbye to his wife, Betty, standing at the window of the upper floor, holding their youngest so the infant can see the spectacle as it recedes up the hill towards town. The child will remember this as a fairy tale, unsure if the mass of moving leaf and branch that dwarfs his father's frame is any more real than the kelpies, goblins and fairies whom his sister Catherine spins into diverting stories for her younger siblings every night before bed. Hold her steady, man, McNabb directs the coachman. It is all about momentum. More than four miles an hour, and the trees could overturn the carts, for the weight of even the largest conveyance is far less than the tree it bears. He tries not to fuss. There were only a couple of hundred trees in the old arboretum, and over the last year the men have hauled thousands of bushes and flowering shrubs, aloes and cacti, but the larger ones still cause McNabb concern. In spite of this, he endeavours to leave his men to their business. If he's honest, he likes accompanying the processions because of the stir they cause. The trees are some sight, a veritable wonder. The ragged children fall in behind the carts, running in the strange long shadows the trunks cast onto the beaten earth. They stare up at the foliage as it passes overhead. Hey, mister, one boy shouts, indicating the spectacle. How do you put them up there? Do you have a giant to do it? McNabb has no time to tell the lad that the trees are not like dandelions, pulled from the ground in an easy movement. The roots must rest for weeks after being carefully dug out, and they will need to rest again before being watered and replanted at the new site. 
He invented an entirely new machine to lever the barreled trees onto each cart, but it seems too flashy to admit that the success of this operation is down to him, both his knowledge and his inventiveness. He is only doing his job, after all. It's nice to be stretched. William McNabb would not be satisfied with a job comprised of fripperies, the task of growing pansies for the side tables of aristocratic drawing rooms or running the kitchen garden of a grand house to make sure the master has pineapple for the dining table when he requires it and grapes from his own vines. The botanic garden is dedicated to science, to medicine. Each plant bears properties vital to the apothecary's art. If you don't get to your lesson, the master will scalp you. McNabb scolds the lad who asked the question. Go on now. The forest rumbles towards Edinburgh as the children lose heart and turn in the direction of Pilrig, where the school bell is pealing. <laughs>